Herald Manishpar. I'm a property investor and property sourcer myself. Um, so today we have the pleasure of Penela Walker telling us about her experience, Penela and her uh, husband, a dog. They do both uh, property investment and they do uh, focus on HMO quite a lot. So uh, we have the pleasure of Penela uh, telling us about uh, why they started investing in, in, um, in property and why they have uh, focused on HMO. So they have quite a um, substantial size of HMO properties. And I leave it to Fenella to tell us more about her reasons, her why, and where they are at the moment in the world of property investment. Is that me now? <laughs> okay. Thank you for that introduction, Ella. Um, I hope you managed to sort your computer out. Um, this is uh, my first time on this side of the camera. Um, I'm usually on the receiving side, so I do hope you enjoy my HMO um, presentation. Um, before I continue, I'm going to give you a disclaimer that uh, my presentation is my experience and my understanding of HMOs, and of course, you will do your own um, checks. Um, can I have the next slide, please? Okay, so I'm going to start off and do talk a little bit about our backstory. Then I'm going to talk about the HMO process. I'm going to give you a case study, and then and then woohoo, Fenella's top tips. <laughs> so, next slide, please. So our backstory is Doug was in the oil industry for over 30 years, and for 24 of those, we were expat. Uh, we left Aberdeen and we started off in Abu Dhabi. Then we went to Bahrain, Norway, New Orleans, Vietnam, India, Mumbai, it's quite a long list. Um, Malaysia, we had six years in KL, and we ended up in Perth, Australia. And at that time, in 2015-16, of course, the oil industry took a dive, and uh, Doug took a redundancy. And so we left Australia, we had three kids, two dogs, and a 40-foot high container, and we went back and we fortunately had a holiday home in France. No properties um, in the UK at that time. And uh, originally our idea was that we would um, sit out the sort of the downturn and then when everything sorted itself out, we would jump back in. Uh, but of course, over time, uh, that didn't happen. And we started looking at different options to get an income. And we decided that joining the property world would actually give us uh, the most promising solution. So we set up NKL Properties in 2018, and NKL stands for Nick, Kate and Lisa, which is our children. And the first property we actually bought was in Glenrothes. It was a lovely, it is a lovely three bed ex-council house, and it cash flows at about £250 a month. And we realized that we were going to have to have a gazillion of these if we were going to actually get to the level of income that we needed um, or that we not wanted. So we changed our focus very quickly to look at HMOs. So what is an HMO? I'm sure you all have a definition of an HMO, but it is a house or a flat which is occupied by three or more unrelated persons. And that could be a hostel, a student residence, bedsits, uh, shared flats. Um, HMOs are in place to ensure that the property is properly managed and it meets certain um, safety standards. And there are differences between Scotland and England. 
Um, although the HMO definition is standard, what is different is licensing. So in England, it's the fifth unrelated person that triggers the need for licensing. And in England, while that process is happening, you can actually put people in your HMO rooms. Whereas in Scotland, it's the third person that triggers the licensing. And in Scotland, you cannot put the third, the fourth, the fifth, or, or how many people into your HMO rooms until you actually have a license. Um, this is really important because it's all about timing. So when we were looking in 2018 in Glasgow at the time, it could take up to 12 months to get your license. Um, in Edinburgh, it was over six months. And in Dundee, it was three to four months. Um, during the, the time that the licensing process is happening, you can actually put two people into your flat or house or whatever, but no more in Scotland, you cannot. Um, so then we chose, we actually chose to, to invest in Scotland, um, mainly because we had moved to live in Aberdeen and we had, we did look at properties in Leeds and Doncaster and further afield, but the, we were spending too much time in the car. So we actually, we settled on Dundee as our starting point. Um, then buying a, an HMO, you have two decisions. You either buy an HMO that has an existing license or you're buying an HMO and creating a new license. And we have actually done both. Um, buying an HMO with an existing license, the license is actually given to the person, it's not the property. So you need to apply to have that license transferred to your name. And the council will make checks. <laughs> they like to ensure that you're fit and proper, that you don't have any criminal records and uh, that you are also a registered landlord. Uh, the new application has to be made within one month of purchase. And if you only remember one thing from tonight, this is vital. You must not let that existing license lapse. Um, if the property you purchase has a valid HMO license that was issued in the past, the criteria it was issued under holds. As long as you make no structural changes to the license, it's grandfathered with all the old criteria. However, if you make changes to the kitchen or the bathroom, then the clock resets and all the new current guidelines are enforced. So make sure that your application form is in within one month and don't make any changes. And the first one that we bought actually had an existing HMO license on it. Uh, we picked up the keys on the Friday and our tenants moved in on the Monday. And uh, it was a very busy weekend um, getting sort of putting furniture together and putting up blinds and all the rest of it. And that this is another thing I will say, it's vital that you have a good letting agent uh, who manages your HMOs to help you smooth that transition. Um, the cash flow on this first one that we bought is around about 700 pounds per month. Um, so already in one property compared to our Glen Rothes buy to let, we were making nearly three times the income. So the second property that we bought had a lapsed license. So we had to create the new license following the current guidelines. So I'm going to show you what you need to be aware of when you purchase a property that has no current license. And the first thing I'll say is that you really have to make friends with your HMO officer. They can make life very difficult or easy for you. 
they have the final say and they also have the knowledge and the experience that you need to make your property um, make sure it complies. So each council has slightly different, makes slightly different interpretation of the regulations. Um, in Dundee, we have a situation for controlling HMO saturation of over provisions, which are based on the uh, census output area map. Um, they don't want more than 12.5% of properties in a given area to be an HMO. So when you find your property and you phone up the HMO officer, they'll look and they'll say, in this area, we have a provision for eight properties. Um, at the moment, there are six, so there's room for two more. Um, there are certain areas of Dundee where they are up to the capacity. And the, the council, I suspect, will look at them on a case by case. But from our point of view, we were just looking at things that we knew that we would actually be able to get an HMO license on. Um, they also have in Dundee regulations that um, any flat, if it's four or more persons with a common share stairwell or an entrance, the chances of you of getting um, a change of use on that is unlikely. Um, again, these are, I don't know if these regulations will be in other councils, but this is specific to Dundee. Um, although that rule doesn't actually work in the city center. Um, this reiterates the importance of knowing your HMO officer and your um, planning, planning officer. You don't want to make the expensive sort of mistake of having a purchase and then finding out that the council won't support your application. Once you've found your property, you need to go in with your tape measure or your fancy laser pointer thing and you do some um, measurements. The first thing you have to measure is the room size. Bedroom widths have to be at least 2.25 meters and ceiling height is measured from 1.5 meters. So if you've got a flat, it's in the top floors and you've got a slopey roof, although you can maybe put a chest of drawers or a bookcase in that space, it's not actually counted as usable area. The council will only actually take the measurements of the room from the 1.5 meter head height. The next thing you have to look at when you're looking around your flat is the kitchen layout. There are guidelines on workspace area. It's about two meters uh, for three people uh, with an additional 600 millimeters for each additional person. They also have rules for storage space, drawer space. I'm not gonna go into all the rules that they have, but there are standards for fridge and freezers. They have cubic um, capacity. There are rules about cookers and microwaves. Um, they've got more rules about lighting and ventilation and heating and baths and showers. And if you've not got a drying green, then you must provide a tumble dryer. So then that has to be factored into your layout of the kitchen. There's also rules about electric plugs. There has to be six per bedroom and there has to be power points in each landing. And for noise reduction, some councils insist that you put in carpets. Um, we actually have an HMO in Edinburgh and we had to carpet over all the lovely strip pine or wooden floors, which was a bit of a shame, but that was the rules. Um, one of another property that we have, we wanted to put in tall cabinets in the kitchen um, just to increase the storage space. Uh, but the HMO officer advised us that uh, not all tenants are basketball players and that uh, they maybe wouldn't count that extra space as usable space. So again, it really is important that you have um, a good relationship with your HMO officer and that you can run these ideas past them.
And finally, you've got the floor plan. So if you're going to move the rooms around, you have to make sure that the layout complies with the guidelines. So a lot of people like to move kitchens out of a bedroom into either the, um, the box room or actually into the sort of the, the sitting room area. And if you do this, the new bedroom mustn't, must be greater than the 2.25 meters that I've already mentioned. And also the changes affect other standards. So if your kitchen is moved into a living room and you don't have any other separate uh, living space, then the bedrooms will need to be a little bit bigger. It's 10 square meters. But if the kitchen is moved into say a box room and you have a separate living area, then the bedrooms can be slightly smaller at 6.5 square meters. Um, so really all I'm just trying to say is if you need, you need to refer to the guidance notes and you need to get confirmation from your HMO officer that they would support the proposed changes before you actually start your renovation. So you've, uh, you've bought your property and you've started the renovations and you following all the council um, guidelines and now you need to put your HMO in for um, your application in. You've been talking with your planning, the planning officer, you make your application um, for change of use to an HMO and you also have to maybe put in some, you have to put in um, layout plans, but you know that's all okay because you've been talking to them all along. And they come back and they say, that's fine. And the next thing you have to do is you have to put in your planning application for your license and you have to pay a fee. And in that process, they put up public notices. So this is going to be displayed for 21 days so that all the neighbours in the area can make their comments. Um, the HMO officer will then make a visit to your property to make sure that the renovations you're doing or have done have complied to whether it's a one, a three, four, five person um, HMO. And uh, like when you have a revaluation um, on your property, when the HMO officer comes around for their visit, you must be present. It's really important to be there. It might be actually the first time that you've had face-to-face -face, um, with your HMO officer. Of course, at the moment, it's all different because um, I was speaking to our Dundee HMO um, officer the other day just to check on my details, and they're not doing any inspections at the moment. Um, if, the, if the flat is empty, they can go in, but of course, if the tenants in at the moment, then it's very difficult. Um, they are putting processes in place, but uh, uh, they're working on it. Um, there also, there'll be visits from your um, the Scottish Fire Department. They'll look at fire escapes, the fire equipment, the smoke detectors. They'll look at noticing. They'll look at um, your fire doors, the logbook, your signage. Um, all these regulations are listed in the guidance notes. Um, for Dundee, that you can find that at www.dundeecity.gov.uk um, and there are pages of them. So once you've got your, uh, your officer has been around and inspected, they have a committee, um, they'll then return back later at some point to check that if there's any things they wanted you to change, they'll make sure that you comply. And then you get your license and it's valid for three years. And uh, after that, it's just a case of revalidating it um, and ongoing. Again, your letting agent will help and advise because this might actually be your first time doing it, but they will have done it many times. 
And if all this seems really too much effort for you, you have to be aware that running an HMO without a license um, in Dundee at the moment, the current fines are up to 50,000 pounds. So for all of you who like numbers, this is an HMO that we bought um, in Dundee city center. Um, the license had lapsed. It was a repossession, corporate sale. Uh, it's in the conservation area. It's a listed building. It's above commercial premises. And another hoop that we had to jump through is that the selling bank didn't actually have all the, uh, the paperwork. So for our very first HMO application, there was really a huge learning curve for us. And this is why you need to make friends with your HMO officer um, and actually also have a good agent who understands the HMO process. In the end, uh, not having the paperwork in place worked uh, in our favor as we managed to negotiate um, you know, a bigger discount from our original offer. Um, so the purchase price of this one was 112,500. Um, the financials, legals, insurance, LBTT, of course, ADS at the time was 3%, it's now 4%, came to 13,000, just over 13,000. You have other costs, planning, HMO application, that was over 3,000 pounds. Um, our refurb costs were actually much higher than we had liked um, as it was uh, in a conservation area. Um, the windows, we had to do some refurb work on the windows and it was actually higher than we had thought it would be. And then after six months, uh, we moved from the bridge onto, well, it was just over six months, onto a mortgage. And uh, Kessa touched on this, but something you have to sort of take into consideration is that uh, in our experience, the products that were available, that could have been available in England to Scotland reduce, and they also reduce again if uh, it's a personal purchase um, as per, well, from a personal to a limited company. So obviously you need to speak to your broker and Kessa's obviously very well versed um, in the HMO products in Scotland. So at the end of the day on this one, we were actually leaving in the deal um, over 20,000 pounds, which again was more than what we wanted to, but the costs were higher. Um, it was the first one, we were using a new builder. Uh, we had a, we don't actually use that guy anymore. It was a huge learning curve anyway. But, um, and our main focus was actually cash flow. So at the end of the day, it was this, again, it was uh, 7,000, 7,000, <laughs> my dreams, 700 and the, you know, over 750 pounds. Um, again, you can see that uh, you don't need to have many HMOs to actually achieve a good cash flow income. Um, the net ROI on this um, was actually 42%, which is just over two years, and actually we're coming up to that point now. Yep. So some photos. So this is just to show you, just quickly, um, give you some idea of the spec that we do. So the first one was students. There were five rugby lads in this one. It was quite choice. The smell was something else. Um, but anyway, at the end of the day, you know, I can show you the before, that's the before and then you've got the after. Okay, so this was the repossession that we did. It's a galley kitchen. I am not a fan of galley kitchens. Uh, the problem with that is it's getting the space. It's actually um, 
trying to fit in the right amount of um, area for worktop. And in this one, we took out the, the tall uh, fridge freezer and we actually put fridge, the fridges below the counters so that we could just get that extra space. Um, as I say, I'm not, not a great fan of galley kitchens. And we did think about knocking the wall down to the next room and opening it all up, and, but we didn't have the time for that. It, it's something we may do in the future, but we just had to work with what we had. So this is just to show you a bedroom. Again, for HMOs, you provide uh, desks, uh, chest of drawers, bedside tables, hanging, you know, there's a certain sort of standard that is expected. Um, and the next one. So again, this was another one we had, they had a bath, it was a horrible bathroom, had mold on it, it just didn't work well. And again, for students, they don't need a bath that you know showers work really well for students if you've got a family home then of course baths with showers over them but so we we put it into being a shower room which actually it's turned out really really well it's a nice shower room Fenella's top tips so first of all i'd say make friends with your hmo officer research the area for the requirements that you you know if and also know your expected tenant base. So if you're looking at an HMO for nurses, of course you're near the hospital. If it's students, of course you're near the, the university. Know the requirements of your own city. There's gonna be individual, um, the councils will have you know, their own take on, the, on the, the rules. And make sure also that the council will support in principle your new HMO before you actually purchase the property. And finally, if you're gonna use a letting agent, make sure they, already manage HMOs in your area. So moving on, we have now um, backfilled with more buy-to-lets, um, but we're always viewing properties with an eye to seeing if we can convert them into an HMO. So there you go, that's my whistle-stop tour of uh, HMOs 101 um, in Scotland. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Fenella. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And uh, we, we had this conversation um, over the phone. So not every business model in, in property suits everyone. And you are uh, a, a brilliant example of that, that you worked on something that is slightly different, but worked for your situation very well. And we, uh, we were discussing in a chat box that a lot of people believe that um, HMO in Scotland is not possible, but your presentation showed that it's actually very, uh, that statement is very wrong and HMO can work in Scotland as, as you emphasized a couple of times in your, uh, in your presentation. It's, it's a matter of knowing your HMO officer and you, knowing your area very, uh, very well. So thank you so much. Uh, we'll come back to you, the questions from our audience at the end, uh, but for now I pass it on to Kessler to introduce the next speaker. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah, well done for now. I really enjoyed that presentation. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, so next we have on Jack Reevely of EasyLets. So he manages one of the largest letting agents in his local area. Um, he manages over 200 HMOs uh, in EasyLets. He's also a HMO investor himself, and he actually has one of the earliest HMO registrations in his city. Um, he's also involved in local steering groups within the city, including private sector services and fire. So it'd be good to kind of drill him on that side of things. Obviously, regulation is a huge thing. So Jack, thanks for coming on today. If I can get you to unmute yourself. But yeah, how are you doing, Jack? You okay? Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Thank you very much. So, so with Jack's presentation, we're going to just do a Q&A. You know, we've got some questions that we're going to ask Jack, but if anybody has any additional questions, please leave them in the chat box below as well and we'll make sure they get them answered. So Jack, you know, it's great to kind of hear Fenella there and, you know, how great the cash flow can be, you know, on a HMO property. If if I was wanting to, you know, me or somebody else, you know, a lot of us know how to do buy-to-lets, but if we was looking to get to HMOs and was looking to come see yourself, you know, where's the best place to get started and how do we get started on a HMO um, property? Yeah, um, yeah, um, great presentation, Fenella, and covered a lot of, a lot of good points and a good, a good start. Um, I think the first thing is for investors to get their the, the heads around um, the additional aspects that Fenella covered there. You know, there's there's so much more involved in the in the registration and the uh, the regulations with HMOs um, as well. The nature of the tenancy, you have to um, be aware that there's going to be you know potentially a lot more turnovers. You're dealing with you know a lot more individuals as opposed to um, an individual pr uh, private tenancy. Um, so once you're, you know, you take the personalness of that out of it, and you're, you're, you know, you're going into an HMO with an open mind, and you know, really, it's just what you're looking to achieve. So if, if somebody came to us, you know, as a, you know, a home for the for the kids while at university with a future long-term investment, you know, they're looking to for monthly yield, or they're looking for capital growth, because you know, there's like with other properties, there's, there's a wide variety of HMOs, and you can you can go for a, a typical tenement um, style flat, which um, might be cheaper to purchase and yield quite high. Um, but this, the safer and better option for particular investors might be a, a good um, new build property that's, you know, maybe a lot more rentable under certain circumstances and a, a safer option. So it's really just getting you know, an understanding of what the client's looking for and, and then trying to you know, put them into the direction of the right, right property. You have been in this market, uh, HMO market, for quite a long time now. And you have seen the changes uh, that has came through this duration of time. Uh, would you mind elaborating a little bit more what you have seen during this 20 years or so? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the majority of my experience is in Dundee, but, um, you know, we've been involved in, in HMOs in St Andrews and, uh, and Edinburgh and, and, and so on. It really, there's been um, significant changes in, in HMO, both in terms of the regulations and the legislation. As Kezza earlier said, we've, we've got one of the earlier regulations, uh, one of the earlier HMOs, and, you know, at the time, the process of even getting the property was um you know was nowhere near as stringent as as Penella's steps that she discussed earlier there. Um, over the course of the years, both the fire department and private sector services or local authorities have, have just gradually and steadily increased the um the the um, regulations to achieve the license. And a lot of them are at the, the interest of the property and the tenants in terms of you know fire and safety, fire doors, um, smoke alarms, um, thumb turn locks. All these things have just gradually um, improved and increased. Um, and really, that, that's had a, a significant impact on the quality and the standard of the properties, um, which inevitably has driven up uh, rental prices and, and had a positive uh, impact on them. Um, it's it's been uh, the, the well, more recently, I think, um, the, with the invention of the central outfit area, um, which now touched on. That, that's something particular to Dundee, but other cities have the same problem. You know, in Fife and Andrews, they've actually capped the number of HMO licenses now, so they're not giving out licenses because of anti-social issues, which is something you know potential investors in HMOs should be very aware of the, the anti-social issues with where HMOs um, meet um, you know private resident um, private owner occupiers. That can be a, an area of friction, and it's something that has to be dealt with you know very professionally and sensitively, um, and, and proactively from the landlord or the agent to, to show good intent with the council. So. That's an area that's changed significantly um, with the invention of the or the introduction of the central output areas, given local authorities, councils, and, and local um, 
bodies and 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 um, private owners to you know power to be able to you know challenge um, uh, HMOs that have been run badly or you know disrupt the tenants. So that's something that's um, you know changed significantly over the over the period of time. Um, but in general, uh, all these changes have had a positive impact on the quality and the um, which is the knock-on effect to the you know the, the rental prices and, and returns that you're getting on each of the properties. Okay. So, um, has it been ever like England that, uh, so at the moment, I think above five people, they need license. Has it been ever like that, that above more than two people could share without a license or? I'm really sorry. Can you, can you repeat that question? Sorry? I was asking that uh, in, in Scotland, has it been ever like uh, England that, um, because in, in England, more like five people or so can share without a license? Uh, did Scotland had something like that in the past? When we've when there's been more than five people sharing the property. Sorry, I don't understand the question. Than five people sharing a property without an HMO license. Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. There's um, there's still people trying to avoid the the HMO license. You know, the Airbnb was a, a particular frustration to the local authorities. I think in terms of you know properties that were really. Um, you know, being used as an unofficial HMO license and, and really longer term lets than what Airbnb um, was meant for. But I think you know you're always going to get the, the the scrupulous landlords and you know avoiding the regulations and the and the standards. But you know they're few and far between now. I think the you know with the invention of the landlord registration and and all the other um, you know code of letting code of conduct and so on. I think they're uh, you know they're, they're few and far between now. But um, yeah, as, as, you know, you're foolish, as Fenella highlighted, the, the, the fine for, you know, not doing it properly or um, it, you're foolish to go down that route. Um, and, and I think now as well, there's so much information available to tenants that, you know, um, it has to be an extreme situation um, that they would, you know, adhere to that. They, they, you know, the university are educating on, on them, the information is available from the council and for various websites, and they know what the, the basic requirements are for HMO in terms of visual things they can see in the property. So, you know, by trying to bypass them and um, it's, it's really, you know, um, you know, foolish, I'd say, and not, not worthwhile. Um, how key is a location when you buy an HMO property? Yeah, I mean, every city is different. Um, you know, St Andrews and, and Dundee location is, is ultra important, particularly in Dundee, which I can, you know, talk with great experience. Other cities like, you know, um, Edinburgh and Glasgow, the, the university buildings are, are spread throughout the city. So, um, you know, someone might choose to be beside the union, but might be further away from their classes and so on. Dundee's technically, uh, uh, and St Andrews are technically, you know, and Stirling, technically campus universities. Um, so, you know, when I started this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the, the catchment area where, where students were able to, um, you know, think about living was, was much broader. Um, now they're, you know, it's getting, you know, smaller and smaller um, in terms of quality and, and location is, is key. Um, so again, whether it be the campus university, you know, if you know Dundee well, then this, you've got the um, Blackness Avenue, um, Perth Road, those sort of areas. The city centre, for the reasons that you, you touched on before, it's, it's, it's actually exempt from the overprovision um, rules. So um, there's a lot of HMO, a lot of development in the city centre, which is very next, very near Abertay and Dundee. So it's, it's very, um, you know, um, important. But I think yeah, location is key to all um, all decisions with property in general. But in HMOs that are so affiliated with universities, I think it's even more critical that you you do your research. You know, you 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 um, research the, the city that you're buying in. So a, a thirty minute walk to university in Edinburgh 
or, or even London might be, you know, really good. In Dundee, it's it's 20 minutes too far. You know, you need to be 10 minutes. But, um, because those choices are there for them, you know, there's property available within that uh, distance to the university. So right, location is, is key. Um, so the next question is, um, so when when people converting properties to HMO, they, they try to do garage conversion, chopping the rooms, or even build an extension. So um, can you comment on how much these kind of things will increase the value uh, and uh, actually will it increase the value? And if it does, how much? And what is the downside of having too many rooms if HMO doesn't work? Yeah, well, absolutely. The, you know, that's, that's all additional um, advantage that you can identify a property that's got options to, you know, to increase the room size or, or add a garage conversion. Um, I mean, garage conversion is probably the easiest one to, to, to quantum because, you know, you can do a garage conversion for 10, 15,000 pounds. And I'd be pretty confident to say you would add that to the value of the property in terms of bricks and mortar, which, you know, Keza alluded to at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and in terms of um, increasing the value by adding the HMO and the garage conversion, you know, I, I don't think there's a massive increase on top of the, the, the value of the garage, but you do make it a lot more sellable. You know, there's, there's HMO and investor and HMO investors you know, certainly value yield is, is higher than a lot of other investors. So if you create an extra bedroom, you know, that's an extra £4,000 a year. Um, you know, just percentage-wise, it's, it's quick to work out that that can add some serious, you know, um, value to the property and sell, sellability. Um, by picking up a, you know, a, a typical flat and, and just HMOing it, you know, you'd be typically, if it hadn't had any of the previous work done, so that you, you could be getting between, you know, four or five thousand pounds to, to six or seven thousand pounds to 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 get that HM license. And again, you know, a lot of that work um would encompass both improvements to the property out with the HMO, so the standards for painting and carpets, which Vanella alluded to. Um, so you are adding value and capital by doing that. Um, whether it, you know you see the instant um increase in that is you know there's other factors in the market really that are um, affecting them. But um you certainly make a property more sellable by HMO it. You know, you, you open the door to investors that would buy based on yield as well as uh, the attraction to the property. Um, and the, your, your second question about the number of rooms, we, we, we're definitely seeing um, a, you know, a, a, a slight decline in the, in the desirability of five and, uh, sorry, six and seven bedrooms. And plus we've, we've got a nine bedroom, you know, which has its challenges to, to, to fill every year and manage. But six bedrooms and plus, not just the current situation with the social issues, but you know, I think, um, the you know students and HMO tenants they uh, you know they're, they're just um, you know a little bit demanding to have six people in one room sharing uh, everything so there's, there's there's less demand for them you know more design more demand for the slightly smaller HMOs um, and and really that demand sort of a lot of it comes down to quality as well so uh, I mean if you do have a six bedroom you know at a minimum you need two bathrooms uh, two en suites and you'd be amazed how many of the older style HMOs before the regulations changed that Miller Fenella uh, alluded to earlier. Um, you know, back in the day, you could get a six-bedroom property without a living room and only with one bathroom. And really now, we're seeing landlords, you know, converting them back. So if they had changed the living room into a, a bedroom or split a big room and made two bedrooms, we're really seeing that, um, you know, a, a turnaround in that. And now it's all about quality and, and, and adding value back into the property. So these rooms are getting turned back into lounges or, you know, the bedroom that was split into two rooms has now been turned back into one bedroom with an ensuite. And those are the really, that's, you know, that answer your question, that's been you know handed to landlords because it's less demand for six 
you know, six bedroom plus properties. What issues are HMO investors currently having? You know, you talked about antisocial behavior, but apart from that, obviously there's a big thing, COVID-19. And obviously we saw the introduction of uh, the PRT leases in Scotland uh, a couple of years back as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, on everyone at the moment. Obviously, since since April, so those two things combined, you've you, you've you've you know hit on nail on the head there. The, the COVID and and combined with the H uh, the PRT lease. So yeah, the COVID's obviously bigger issues, you know, and effects on everybody aside. But you know, focusing on 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 HMOs and and, and residential student property, it was it was hit far worse than other you know private types of tenancies. And when the universities closed, you know, I think we had we had over a hundred notices to quit in the space of a month. Um, the students just didn't need to be in town. That you know, their parents didn't want to pay for second secondary accommodation. Um, universities were closed, and, and um, so they all, you know, the, as you say, everyone, as we know, everyone um, self isolate went home. So that was the, the biggest issue. That that still is in the back of our mind because obviously, you know, things are maybe taking a slightly turn for the positive with the recent news with the vaccine and so on. But you know, with Christmas approaching and, and so on, I, I was slightly nervous coming leading up to this this period, you know, that the the, you know, the students and the, the universities would potentially close. The, the the biggest factor we have is you know trying to keep the students now past Christmas, you know, with everything being so much online and uh, um, they come back after Christmas, they might just have a handful of, of exams and a few bits of coursework and might decide to leave a bit earlier than previously. Um, and obviously with the PRT lease, they can give 20, 28 days notice at any time and, and leave. So um, that was, I mean, that's the current situation with the COVID, but, you know, in a more broader sense, the, you know, the, the main issues affecting HMOs definitely were the, the PRT lease to try and, you know, historically we've been able to, you know, guarantee or, or use the word dictate 12 month contracts with a short sure tenancy. Obviously, that's that's harder now with the PRT leases. So, you know, the last couple of years we've been looking at, you know, um, 10, 11 month uh, tenancies with a couple of months um, void. You know, we've tried to negate that by um, bringing the start dates forward to, you know, April or May to, to try and it's a several months sort of the, 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 the difficult period to keep the students here. Um, but again, all these things, just as a side note, all these come back to quality and location. If you've got the right property in a, in a real good condition in the right location, then the students will, you know, the, the tenants, they'll want to keep it for that, you know, year after year. So they will pay for it over the summer months. So that just, you know, hits home again, as everybody keeps saying, quality and, and, and location. Um, Fidelis touched on, you know, the current issues affecting them, the current, you know, currently with the local authorities not being able to carry on inspections, you know, that's ham- hampering new applications. Um, it's not had a massive impact on renewals every year because the, the you know the, they can the tenancies in place and the and the, the, the properties are up and running. So, um, but yeah, new, new applications are really hampered by the lack of inspections that can be carried out. Okay, thanks, Jack. Um, and there's a lot of questions about this as well, which we'll touch on in a minute. But you know, how about diversifying from students as well? You know, what other opportunities are out there for people? Yeah, um, well, I think in general, you know, as a positive towards HMOs, I think the, you know, if, if you think about investing in HMO um, historically, because of the cost of it, you were really pigeonholing yourself to one type of tenant, uh, you know, typically students because of the, you know, the, the nature of their tenancy and the, and the money they could bring in. I think if you look at it in a broader sense, the other types of tenancies and, and Airbnb, for example, I think it's just a matter of time before the regulations for those type of properties catch up with, with um, HMOs. So the additional cost in investing the money into the HMO might not be wasted in, in future options to go down the routes of you know, Airbnb and uh, service department style property. Um, Having said that, it's, it's difficult at the moment, you know, Airbnb, typically HMOs are in cities. So, you know, unless you're in Edinburgh or St. Andrews where you've got the golf and the, the festival, um, 
albeit I understand they've had a, you know, the PRT needs to affect them as well because they want the properties to be vacant over the summer months for those other sources of income. And with the PRT lease, that's difficult to remove the tenants so, you know, in, in those situations where we're trying to get them to stay for the summer. Um, so in the cities like Dundee and, and, and Aberdeen and so on, there's not that type of people looking for Airbnb during the summer, summer months for holiday. Having said that, you know, we have um, um, rented property to companies, um, you know, um, there's companies in Dundee that are doing the flood defences, car charging companies putting the car charging points um, during the open and so on. We have let rooms out. So Airbnb is, uh, you know, is, an, is an option. Um, yeah, and then corporate stuff as well, yeah. For, for HMOs. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, so as HMO investors as well, any tips that you can give for people to potentially stand out from the rest of the crowd as well? Yeah, well, I think... You know, there's there's little things like data points and bedrooms and matching furniture, um, but but nothing really more than um, you know, Fenella, you know, really um, highlighted at the beginning is you know quality and location, and then just to reiterate, you know, the things I've, I've said previously, um, you know, longer the days where you passed where you would go to a property and try and maximise, you know, get as many rooms out as possible, you know, centra, uh, gas and heating, double glazing and double beds, you know, that's just a standard now where that, you know, that used to be standing out previously. That's, a, that's just a standard. So, you know, the second toilet and ensuite, two bathrooms, a separate lounge, you know, they're becoming the new standard, you know, to stand out then, yeah, just, um, you know, just detail in, in the finishings in terms of, you know, decor and matching furniture and data points and, and so on. Yeah, interesting. So I think key things always speaking to, you know, a lending agent that knows the HMO market before you convert a property into a HMO to see, you know, what the tenants are going to want is key. So, I mean, how do you set up a tenancy when it comes to, you know, let's say if you do have a property with five, six bedrooms, you know, how do you get that to come together with five, six different people? And, you know, typically what would the tenancy look like? Yeah, so with the, excuse me, if, um, if we're managing a property for somebody and obviously we advertise it, following the viewings and so on, um, the, the, the key with HMOs really is to um, is to have the tenants on a joint tenancy, um, joint with several tenancy, ideally as well, not just a joint tenancy, and ideally to a group of people that know each other and have come to you as a group. Now, again, that goes back to quality and location. Um, that will happen if you've got a good property in the right area. And once, you, once you've got that situation where there's a group of um, four or five people, whatever it might be, coming to you, then you sign them up on a PRT tenancy. Um, once they're on that, um, you know the, the all of the the issues out with that. So your, your utility bills, your council tax, your internet, and, and, and all those things, they become the, the tenant's responsibility. Um, you know, if you've got a property that's you know less desirable and you have to start renting it by the room, then you open yourself up to all those additional factors. Um, you know, if you're not in a joint lease, the council deem it not to be a joint household, so they can uh, make the, the landlord liable for council tax, regardless of the tenant's assumes. And that's one of the biggest biggest issues and one of the biggest mistakes that you know that, that people do get themselves into, you know, the signing people up on individual tenancies. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but then you have to factor in the cost of the account, potential cost of council tax, and uh, and it's it's very difficult to try and attract people to rent a room if you then have to insist that they go and get together with the people they don't know and sort yes. out gas, electricity, and internet. So the only really make way to make it feasible is to offer them a combined package where this is the this is the rent. It includes council tax, it's applicable gas, electricity, and all those other things. Um, obviously, flip side for that is you go there during the day and uh, there's no one in, the, the windows open and heating's on. So, you know, again, it comes back to quality if you can get a good property in the right area and avoid those options of having to go down the individual routes, um, individual tenancy route, then it's, it's, it's much better. 
And so, Jack, so am I correctly understanding that you are recommending not to have an individual tenancy with a tenant? Because that's a model that in England is very, very popular. So people rent a room rather than five people coming together and rent a property. Yeah, Um, we absolutely aware of that in England. I think it just comes down to the to the the regulations. I mean, the, the other thing that comes down to demand, you know, in, in uh, looking at Dundee, for example, and some of the HMOs are slightly out with the air, the catchment area that are desirable, that's the only option for some, you know, landlords. And uh, and, and and generally, you know, there's a there's a lot of um, foreign students in all cities, and uh, you know, again, they might not know people, um, so coming uh, to town, um, then it has to be for it's much more attractive than if it's as simple as possible. So you get the package of you know the internet and the utilities all provided. But yeah, in, in terms of Scotland and, and, and factoring in our regional um, regulations combined with our PRT lease, you know, I'd really recommend that you try and avoid um, individual tenancies at not at all costs, but without you know, you know, significant thought and uh, and a price structure that, that that makes it work in terms of all the, the aspects that you have to pull on, the, as I say, the council tax, gas, electricity, and that sort of stuff. And you felt you also mentioned about council tax, so. Um... As far as I know, in, in Aberdeen area, uh, the council tax um, will be applied to rooms if they don't have access to the whole property. So is it the case or is it if you start renting per room, uh, does uh, Dundee Council or the councils that you are working with, do, do they charge council tax per room or is it per property? Um, yes. it's per property. And uh, they, again, each local re- um, reg- um, authority has a you know, it's probably a slightly different stance, a different interpretation of the of, of the regulations. But you know, uh, I think you know for some time the you know the Dundee uh, City Council recognised that you know that the there's a you know a, a, a big loss of income from student accommodation. You know, a lot of people living in student properties and, and all being exempt. And it, it's really a bit of a minefield with the council tax, um, certainly in, in Dundee sometimes that you know you you, you might have tenants that are exempt from um, council tax because they're on a joint lease and they're um, and they're students. But the um, the day that they be- become an ungraduated, so they might graduate while living in the property, and then if they they move out of the property and you have a property that's uh, empty for a while, um, that, that council tax is due to the landlord. If those tenants moved out of that property while they're graduated, uh, sorry, prior to them graduating, they were still matriculated as students, and there's a void period, and then you had more students move into the property. You'd be the landlord be entitled to an exemption for a short period of time in between, so that there there is there's various you know pitfalls and, and things to be aware of with with council tax and you know in particular in Dundee that I'm familiar with, but um, the biggest one being you know to reiterate that if you've got a property that's and you've got individual tenancies on that regardless of their status as students or not, the council can deem the the, the landlord to be responsible for council tax, um, so that, you know. So it, it has to be handled quite sensitively. You know, you can potentially get people that don't know each other um, to sign a joint lease, um, but, but not joint separately. So they're still, you know, responsible for their own finances, but they are on a joint lease. So those, those things can be talked through and expanded, but it's certainly an area to, you know, to to, to explore before, you know, going into the open mind, um, you know, open eyed without knowing about council tax and uh, the type of 
tenancy of student um, tenant that you'd be going to get into your HMO property. Just one last question for me, because we've got quite a lot of questions in the, the chat box here as well. So obviously when you've got a HMO property, you potentially got, you know, multiple people there all at one time. You know, how do you kind of uh, manage sort of the communal areas in regards to who's going to clean that? And I'm sure there'll be lots of disputes that come up in regards to kind of cleaning and, you know, people falling out with each other and stuff like that. Any tips on that? Yeah, well, absolutely. Again, that just comes back to the the, the, the quick answer to that is to, to have a good property that you can get them on a joint joint and several lease. Once that's the case, then they're just you know they're responsible for that property from as a group um, from start to finish. So when they move out, it just goes through a normal tenancy changeover as a as it would with a normal property in terms of you know inspections and inventories and that that sort of stuff. If you do have to go by the room, then absolutely, um, you know, you just have to expect as a landlord that you're going to have to take on additional responsibilities that, you know, sometimes during, but certainly at the end of that um, tenancy, because people might have moved in at different periods, you might have multiple tenancies changing over, you know, within a property. Um, so unless you start doing an inventory and, a, and a, a check of the property every time that happens, which is difficult because people are living in it, you can't go and inventory a kitchen when it's, you know, there's four people living there and the fridge is full. Um, and take photographs of it. So unfortunately, you know, at the end of that period um, that you have to just accept that you're going to have to absorb some of the costs for getting the communal areas back to uh, the original uh, condition. And we, we, we do have uh, some properties that, that works very well in, and, and it's all, you know, just being aware of it. And, it. and it works very well in that we've had properties for several years that have never actually been, you know, the, a, a void period where the whole property is empty, but they've had multiple changeovers throughout that whole time. And it just takes, you know, you have to be, you know, a little bit sensible about it and just every, you know, six months or a year or whatever it might be, you know, you, you, you address the communal areas and uh, and have a plan to, you know, just keep them at a manageable condition. And you soon know if you don't, because it, it gets harder to get people to take those rooms that come vacant, you know, they go in and they're not willing to move into a, a mess like that. So it's just managing your tenants and, uh, you know, making them aware of their responsibilities and, and uh, just, you know, general uh, housekeeping. So, uh, Fenella, the first question is for you. So, Neil asks, uh, when you are renting your HMO, do you include the bills? And if you do so, how do you manage the reasonable um, levels? Uh, well, the answer to that is no. They, they <laughs> deal... <laughs> no, no. Um, I know that, again, in the England model, quite often all the bills are included and... Uh, no, we don't include any of the bills. They, they as a group, um, are in charge of organising everything in the flat. Um, so yeah, no, we don't, we don't do the bills for them. So I assume that every, all of your tenants go under one, um, under one tenancy agreement, so under one PRT. Yes, yes. I mean, well, <laughs> the easy answer is yes. We do actually have one property where we we rent by the room. But they, again, we don't include the bills on that and they organise it themselves. It's a sort of a slightly tricky one. And again, it was down to timing, that, that all important timing that I was talking about. Um, and uh, we would like to have a, a group going in as one group. It makes life so much easier. But when you're actually renting it room by room, um, I know in the English model, because they tend to do with professionals and working people and, and all the rest of it. And it's not just students, but um, yeah, it, it's, we don't, we don't include, we don't include the bills. They just sort it out themselves and it works. It works fine. How, how much was your HMO uh, application? How much is the app? Uh, yeah. How much is the app um, it's application? It's about a thousand pounds. Um, there is a fee that you have to pay to start off with that they won't actually even look at your application and the fee is a few hundred pounds and then but the main 
fee for your first application is over a thousand pounds. And then after that, um, if you're just doing um, variation, you know, you're just redo redoing your, your um, HMO license every three years, then there'll just be a small amount that you have to pay. Um, I mean, Jack, obviously, I mean, would, deal, would know more about that um, than me, but I think that's how it works. That's very interesting. It's much cheaper in Aberdeen. I think that's a key thing that every council is different by the sounds of it, you know, all, all over Scotland and, and the UK. Um, so probably this is for both of you. Uh, do you feel that having a PRT in Scotland has affected the HMO market? So if Jack, you want to go first? Yeah, I, th I think it has uh, significantly. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's you know it was. I think you only now appreciate how good the for the landlord how the good the previous um, lease short share tenancy was, where we used to have twelve month contracts. So um, I mean, there there are advantages that the the PRT lease. There's some there's some quirky things that I think will change in future. For example, you, you might have an HMO property with five people living in it. Um, we, we have a you know a couple of situations where the, the one person's fallen out and wants to move out. But they're almost held to ransom because the, the notice to quit has to come from all five. So um, that makes a very awkward situation. Um, but I, I think without a doubt, the, the PRTVs have affected our yields in terms of the, the um, void periods. Um, we're seeing more students go home for a couple of months in the summer um, and you know, having um, empty periods in the properties. Um, you know, the, that's maybe pushed rents up slightly, slightly, so that people have negated that by putting rents up by 10%, 15%. We've seen that, you know, happen across the board with all um, pro properties really in the HMO sector. Um, so it, it has it's had a, a massive impact on the on, on the property. But one thing it has done, though, is it's is just completely clarified, you know, your, your rights and what you can and can't do in terms of it's a very simple, you know, government-produced document. I mean, we were managing, you know, you know, lots of properties for different landlords and they would all have their own you know wish list on a on a on a at least and it just some of it was enforceable and some of it wasn't you know they could you could write your own lease and some of it was really you know some of it was ridiculous to be honest and uh, um what some landlords would like in, in in the in the lease so now it's kind of standardized all that it makes it very simple when you're talking to, to tenants you know exactly what regulations you're adhering to and the the, the conditions um that they they bring so I think it's been you know apart from the the, the yield the, the yield thing and the the void periods that we're now seeing it's been a positive uh, it's had a positive a positive impact. Is it mainly students and nurses that take out here you know that will occupy HMOs or can you get professionals in HMOs as well? And Paul's added to that as well student doctors potentially. Yeah, I mean you can and uh, you know they they, if they they do make good tenants and they, they do tend to stay if you get the right property you know and they can be in Dundee for a for, or the city for a, a while. I, I I'm not convinced the whole professional thing. I know that Edinburgh is slightly different because you know you've got a lot of people living in the city centre that you know the you know shirt and tie they're, they're out of university they they don't know where they want to settle yet they're making some good money they want to live that city life next to the pubs and the you know work walk from work and so on. So Dundee and Glasgow are slightly different, but you know Aberdeen. And, and, and St Andrews and, and, and Dundee, I think you're, you're typically looking at, a, you know, you're unlikely to get professionals into HMOs. Having said that, as I said earlier, we've, we've let a couple recently to, you know, various companies that are, a couple of companies that are in Dundee, you know, doing, you know, work on the dock wall I mentioned and uh, installing PowerPoints uh, for car charging, um, health workers. So there, there is that option, but, but typically, you know, I, I think just the nature of the style of property, it, it's just very akin to, uh, you know, typical for students to, to to migrate to that type of property and, and tenancy. 
Um, I asked this question from uh, from Fanello first. So when you bought a property with an existing HMO, what are the things that you checked before committing to that purchase? The things that we checked, well, obviously the, the, the license, um, how long the license um, had been running, um, when you go in. I mean, as I say, when you're taking over a property that has an, an existing license, as long as you get your application form in within the month, um, all the the criteria that it was given the license on holds. So even if the kitchen doesn't actually have the right work surface, we there was one that the first one that we looked at and we didn't realize this was the case. We were worried that the, the HMO officer would come in and make us do changes to the kitchen area because it didn't actually fall under current regulations. But when we understood that we just took it on as is, as long as we didn't change anything, um, the, the, old, the old criteria stood. So um, I think what you have to look at is the area, who your tenant is going to be. Um, for the, as in Dundee, as, as Jack said, you know, the, if it's students, you know, students in Dundee from a very, from day one, they fall out of bed from their halls of residence and they take two steps and they're in their lectures. And so that is how they view their, where they want to live. So, you know, if you're looking at any accommodation for students, you have to sort of, you draw a map with 15 minutes walking time. And that's basically anything out of that, you're gonna struggle, um, you know, whereas in Edinburgh and Pollock Halls, you know, they're going to King's Buildings, they're going to George Square, they're going all over the place. So you can actually, you've got a bigger, a bigger area that you can have your HMO. So I think for us, um, was definitely location for the existing um, license. I, I spoke to the HMO office the other day and she said, if you want to modernize it, as long as you change like for like, so if the layout of the kitchen and you want to you know, put more up-to-date units in, but of course you have to do that under their advisement because if you do anything that um, they don't agree with, then the clock could reset and you're actually then having to change a lot of things. So um, I just, I reiterate, you have to make friends with your HMO officer and use their expertise, talk to them, talk to your agent. You know, Jack has done this many, many times. You know, if you're going in and it's your very first and you don't understand, speak to the agent. They know all the rules. They've they've seen it all. They know it all, you know, and and you just leverage off their knowledge, and um, that's exactly what we did. Thanks. That's a very good point because a lot of letting agency um, they sit on a panel, and 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 a lot of when when the name of a letting agent is on the application, it makes a difference to the. Um, HMO officer. Jack, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what Fenella was saying. The additional things we would look for just with any property would be, you know, gas heating or good heating, the roof and, and good windows. Um, the fact it's got a license, as we've already highlighted, means that you can, you know, get that license to, uh, and transfer it into your name. But, you know, just have a look at the property with in light of current letting you know, demands and so on. And the additional things we would look for is, you know, equally sized bedrooms. Um, it's, it can be a big turnoff for, for tenants if, if, you know, I've seen tenants walk away from a, what you would consider a better property um, just because there's three, you know, three decent sized bedrooms, one ensuite bedroom and a box room. You know, so if, if, you, um, if you can get a property that's got equally sized rooms, um, you know, that's, that's attractive. 
Um, it doesn't say the other ones don't work, but it's just uh, that's something you would look for from the beginning of, you know, separate lounge and, and that sort of stuff, just to meet the current demands. Because um, uh, as Fennell has said, it's, if it's a previous license, it can be difficult to make significant changes to the property in terms of layout without making the rest of the building then have to comply with the current regulations. And if you've got a narrow bedroom, um, then we've got, as Fennell said, this, the, the width dimension is 2.25 metres. We've got a couple of um, rooms that are narrower than that because they were licensed pre that um, the that rule coming into effect. Um, so yeah, um, room sizes and just general condition of the property. Typically, if, if students are leaving after the exams and stuff in the summer, you know, what top tips would you give to potentially get that property rented out for the year after? Anything that you can, any advice you can give? You mean for the next academic year or for junior yeah. period? Yeah. Well, both, both um, you know, for the next academic year, or is there any in between as well? Yeah, well, that takes us back to the the, the effect that the PRT leases PRT leases had on us um, as a sector, um, because if the you know you, you, the current tenants move out a bit earlier than than expected or historically has happened, and you you try then to you know fulfill fill something over the summer with a, a short some kind of short term tenancy, um, that that's you know, not without pitfalls as well, because ultimately you could put a, a smaller group in there or a couple or a family that are over staying for a, a period of time or, a, a, um, you know, for work or whatever it might be. But with the PRT lease, it's now very difficult to remove um, tenancies or tenancies. So you don't want them to stay beyond when the next catchment comes in in September for students. So that has to be considered very carefully if you're going to, you know, go down that route. So the other obvious options are Airbnb and uh, and the more service department type, type use which we discussed, you know, in works in certain areas like, you know, in certain cities like Edinburgh and St Andrews, but not so much in Dundee, where there's, there's not a huge demand for that. I mean, yeah. the, the year the golf was on a couple of years ago, it worked, um, but there's not really a steady, you know, in, income for that. So, you know, we use that period to improve the property and do some work on it. And, you know, again, the, the, it's very seasonal, the, the letting period in, in Dundee, the, because of the, the notice that the universities give to the halls of residence, their first year students, they generally start looking at Christmas, you know, maybe not now, but certainly in December for tenancies that might start next year. And historically, they would be um, June, July time. But because of the PRT lease, certainly with the good properties, we've managed to bring that forward to, to April, May time to, and then the current tenants stay up to the that period. But again, with, without an end date on the tenancy, you know, it comes down to treating your, your current tenancies well, having good rapport and relationship with them so that when you approach them and say, look, are you guys staying on for next year? That they'll be upfront and open with you and say, "Well, you know what, we're graduating, or no, we're going to find somewhere else." Um, and it, it does happen. You know, students now going to know the PRT lease, they will look around before they decide. So they might tell you they're staying. They look around to see if they can find somewhere better. If they do, they might move, and then you get a property available later than you you'd hoped, and have to try and fill it for the new season. So it, it is just you know a key to knowing the market and, and, and knowing the lease and, and trying to again you know engage and have a rapport with, you, with your current tenants, so, you, so they will be upfront with you and give you more than the 28 days notice that they're you know entitled to and, and try and you know try and approach them so we're in the process in the next couple of weeks to writing out to our current hmo properties to, to to work that out and try and you know plan ahead for next year and we're doing that now and some of them have only moved in in september so it's, yeah. it's ever ever changing thank you very much jack so for my side i know there's a couple more questions uh paul king he's asked a few questions i'll touch base with you paul uh, directly on them um conscious that we ran out of time you know typically we wind this up at nine o'clock um, Jack, big thanks for me. Great presentation. You know, great uh, questions answered. And Fennell as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to me. Ella, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you so much. Well, I also uh, thank and thank you both Jack and, and Fennella. It was a very informative session. 
uh, and I'm aware that um, HMO is a, a minefield and it cannot be um, summarized in one hour, but I think we had a good overview of uh, a lot of facts. Uh, also, I wanted to mention that I wanted to, uh, to mention it in the Fenella's introduction, but I completely forgot due to the technology. Fenella has recently published a book. It is available <laughs> on Amazon. And if you want to understand, if you want to know Fenella more and her life stories and, and her adventure to the property, make sure you, you buy that book and read it. Um, so, uh, and, uh, um, so about next session that we have, so again, we'll be back the second uh, Thursday of uh, December. Uh, we are going to have a very special uh, Christmassy um, event for that one. Uh, first of all, uh, please remember to bring your phone because we have some fun for that event for you guys. And the topic will be <clears throat> the topic that is the Christmas present to everyone. So buy, renovate, refinance, and repeat. So um, myself and, and Kesar will go through uh, that topic and we'll go we'll share our experience of buy, renovate, refinance posts from a property investors and also mortgage broker point of view and the, and the, the points that you have to consider um, using that model. Um, like always, um, myself and Kesar um, would like you to share our event on social media. If you have enjoyed this session, please thank our speakers on social media and also uh, because our, our event is free and uh, we would like more and more people to get involved in it and and having a, <laughs> having a community of people that they are sharing their knowledge together and they are learning to, together is the aim of this um, networking event. So um, once again, thank you to our speaker and thank you to all of you who have attended tonight and we are looking forward to see you on uh, in December. Have a good evening, everyone.